All right, good morning. Well, just like Nathaniel, I have uh, this message prepared here, and I'm really nervous, so Lonnie, come on up here, and I'm just going to hand it off to you. <laughs> well, it's great to, uh, to have everybody out this morning, seeing uh, some faces I haven't seen in a while. Uh, seen some new faces, so uh, that is awesome, uh, and we're glad that, to have you here. Um, for those of you, I want to welcome those online also. I know that uh, we're uh, streaming also, and I apologize. We are having some camera issues. Uh, that's why I appear so large in it. Uh, I'm really not that big. <laughs> and we're starting a new series here, and it's called uh, Upside Down. Uh, most of you, as you came here this morning, as you started to sit through the first service, uh, you really thought this is kind of upside down, right? I mean, we've got a new guy up here doing announcements. We've got a guy we haven't seen in quite a while up here uh, preaching. They're both better looking than the normal people that are up here. <laughs> Things are going crazy here, right? But what a better way to, uh, to start a new series called Upside Down than to mix things up a little bit, right? And it's, it has real seriously been quite a while since I've been up here, uh, and that really means that that's not good for you guys, right? You guys understand that. I've not been here a while, a little rusty, not been up here a while. I'm long-winded, uh, and I'm emotional, and they gave me 21 verses to preach. Not good for lunch plans today. And I couldn't help, but uh, everybody that knows me knows that I am a pretty emotional person. Um, and I don't know why it struck me as they were singing. Um, you know, we, uh, we went to the service of a dear, dear friend last night. And this church has lost a great person. Uh, and that could have been Chris's playlist <laughs> today. I mean, uh, I don't know how many times I would hit Nicole and I would say, look up there at him. And that I stand, I don't know why I, I get emotional now, but. I could just see his head bopping and his hands raised and uh, pouring himself out into the song. And anybody that's been up here and preached know if you needed encouragement, uh, you could look right to here. Uh, and Chris would have his hands up saying glory. Such an, uh, an encouraging person and, uh, and we're definitely grieving and going to miss him. We're going to start into this series here. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's pray real quick and we'll get started. Father, what a blessing it is to be here uh, with our family, God, this, this group of people that you've brought together this day for, for a reason. And Father, one of those reasons is that we would worship you. God, today is not about us, it is about you, and it's about us coming here and to be in communion with you and to worship you, Father. And we just pray that you would uh, bless our worship today, that it would be pleasing to you, Father. Help us, God, that we would leave any hindrance, any encumbrance, anything that we're holding on to this morning that would distract us from that pure worship that you desire. Help us, God, to get rid of it right now. Father, bless your word as it goes forth, God, and open our hearts that we would receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start out here in Matthew chapter 14. We'll read a couple verses here. It says, Matthew 14 says, At that time, Herod the Tetrach, uh, heard the news about Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. 
He has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. All right, so Matthew 14 starts out with, uh, with Herod. He finally, he finally recognizes who Jesus is. He finally is starting to hear about this man named Jesus, that all these great things that he's doing. And you can see that he's a little, he's a little freaked out. He's a little startled, and he says, you know, that's John the Baptist. That is John the Baptist who we'll see later on I had killed. And he's risen from the dead, and that's why these things are happening. And you may be thinking right now, well, what, what the heck happened to John the Baptist, right? Last, last time we saw him, where was he? He was in prison, right? And he was asking, he sent his messengers and said, Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? You know, he was going through a hard time. And that's the last time that we remember seeing him. Now we see here that he's dead. And like so many great storytellers, what the Bible does now is it's going to rewind and it's going to tell you this story of what happened, actually, to John the Baptist. And I will tell you to uh, buckle yourselves up, right, because this is some real, if anybody watched daytime drama, this is some real days of, the, days of our lives stuff here that's going to start going on. So buckle up. Matthew 14, 3, it says, For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd, because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, so much so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of the oath. And because of his dinner guests, he sent and had John the Baptist beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. So again, this is this sermon title is Upside Down. We're going to kind of look at a few things, and I know that... Uh, Again, I got 21 verses, so every, every lesson that is in these verses obviously can't be taught. I know you may sit out there and say, well, gosh, I, this is what I got from it or what I thought it was. And it probably is true, and it probably would have been what I needed to hear about six months ago. But God has given me what I needed to hear today and, and hopefully what you need to hear also. Um, so we obviously won't touch on every lesson, uh, but God has, uh, God has given me this one. And like I said, so buckle up because this is some, some daytime drama stuff. And so you probably remember the name Herod from way, way back when we started this sermon, uh, this book of Matthew, right? Uh, his name was Herod the Great. This is not the same Herod here, but there was a Herod the Great back in the Christmas story. And he hated Jesus way back then, right? Uh, and he goes and he hears of Jesus when the wise men come and say this king has been born. And he goes and he kills every male child. In Bethlehem, ages two and under. So this, this is a very awesome guy here that was the father of this Herod that we're talking about. And so this Herod that we're talking about now is his son. His actual name is Antipas, uh, but he wanted to be like dear old dad, so uh, he took the name Herod. Uh, and again, he, like his dad, is not a very good guy. Um, and so what happened was the old man Herod died, and his kingdom was really just about ripped apart. Uh, they fought and fought over it, and then finally they come to this agreement that, this, that his kingdom is going to be split up 
into his three sons. Uh, there's Antipas, who we saw here. There's Archelaus. And then Philip, who is also in this text. And so it's split up into these three kingdoms. And then there comes a time somewhere in history that Herod and his wife, and then Philip and his wife Herodias, which is, isn't that a beautiful name, a sexy name? You have to be good looking to carry that name Herodias, right? It's kind of like Gertrude or Geraldine. If somebody gives you that name, you must be really pretty to pull that off. So. But Herodias, during this travel here, Herod, Antipas, falls madly in love with his brother's wife. And he wants her for himself. And so he, they fall madly in love, and he comes home, and he divorces his wife, sends her back. Uh, Herodias divorces her husband, Philip, leaves him, and she moves in with Herod. And now they're married, and they're madly in love. Because, you know, just like it is today, it's all about us, right? It's all about what pleases us. It doesn't matter who we hurt. It doesn't matter the destruction we cause in other people's lives. Because God wants us to be happy, right? I get so sick when, you, when you're counseling people and, and somebody comes in and says, well, God wants me to leave my wife because he wants me to be happy. And I'm like, I don't really think that's from God. You may want to check your source. But that's, what, that's the way society is. That's the way the world is. It's all about us. That's how we want it to be, and Herod is no different. Herod sees this thing that he desires. He wants to be satisfied, and so he takes it. And he pleases himself. But then John the Baptist come along, comes along and, you know, he's really politically correct, right? Uh, he doesn't care who's in power. He doesn't care how much power this person has. He looks at him and he says, you're wrong. This is sin and you're wrong. You call yourself a Jew and yet you're violating these laws of God. It's not right for you to have your brother's wife and you know it. And he did know it, right? He did know it. So he calls Herod out, and, and he says that it's wrong. And so what does Herod do? He does the natural thing, right? He uses his power to shut John up. He doesn't want to have John going out and defaming him in public, right? And he doesn't want, like all of us, none of us want our sin exposed, do we? So you can see this human side of Herod here, and he, he, he wants to shut John up. And he's just like us. We don't want our sin exposed. I don't want anybody knowing my sin. I'm sure most of you out there looking at me don't want me to know your sin. And mine isn't that bad, right? So that's nothing to talk about. Now yours, we could have a conversation about that. But that's how we feel. That's our nature. That's how we are as humans. That's how we're wired. But Herod didn't really necessarily hate John. The Bible tells us also that he... He kind of liked to speak to John. Even while he's in prison, he, he liked to hear John speak. He just didn't like to hear John speak about his sin, right? But he liked to hear him speak, and he was afraid to do anything to John because of the people, the Bible says, because the people regarded John as a prophet. So he was very scared to really do anything to John the Baptist. Now Herodias, on the other hand, she hated John. She hated him, and the Bible says from the moment that moment on, she she sought out ways to have him killed. She did not want John to live. And she wanted him dead from that, that point on. She despised him. And now, so here comes this time that we see Herod throws this big party. 
Because again, right, it's my birthday and it's all about me, baby, right? So I want everybody to know how awesome I am. So he throws this big party and these people are getting bombed. I mean, him and his buddies are sitting around and they're just getting wasted, right? They're sloshed, they're wasted, however you want to put it. And we're going to read from Mark here a little bit about this story again uh, because it gives us a little more detail. It says, A strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself, her name was Salome, uh, so we see now this teenage daughter of Herodias comes in uh, and she dances and it's the word in, in the Greek is it's what it sounds like. It's an erotic dance. She dances for for Herod uh, and his friends. And it says she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she probably didn't want to hear this response. Ask for the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oath and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him, to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in prison and brought his head on a platter and he gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about this, they came and took his body away and laid it in a tomb. So she's been plotting, and again, for just the right time to have John the Baptist killed because that was her enemy. He spoke out against her and she wants him dead. And so now she finds, the Bible says, this strategic time came. She knew what was going to happen at this party. She knew that Herod was going to get bombed. She knew that how braggadocious he was. And so she sees this strategic time come. And so you got Herod and his good old buddies, and they're out there getting drunk. And they're getting lap dances from this teenage girl, which, mind you, is his stepdaughter, right? So we got some, some bad stuff going on here. And they're drunk. And now let me ask you, has there ever ever been a good decision made out of drunkenness never what do we do what, what you know most of you in here didn't come from the choir right you weren't raised up and come to the choir you got a past and you're like me we all have a past right i cannot remember a good decision that i ever made when i was drunk never i remember being just like herod bragging about how awesome i was wanting everybody to know how great i was and slurring my speech, I imagine him really slurring his speech here, right? But he wants everybody to know how awesome it is. And that's why the Bible says that, you know, the, a strong drink is a mocker. And drunkenness is a sin. I know that that's not politically correct to say. But getting drunk is a sin. And nothing good comes from getting drunk. And now Herod here, he's drunk again. He's, now he's got the hots for his stepdaughter, right? Who kind of is also his half-niece. <laughs> so it's messed up. I mean, this is, you, this is the time people, when, I mean, they're starting to sprint Jerry, Jerry, right? <laughs> this is Jerry Springer stuff right here. So in his drunkenness and lust, he starts bragging out and he says, whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. 
Problem is, she ain't asking for no Barbie doll, is she? She says, give me the head of John the Baptist. And now Herod's stuck. He's stuck because he, he stuck his foot in his mouth. And he, he let his bragging ways, he let his pride get in the way of what really he should have been doing. And he's stuck because he knows that these people, the people out in the world, they love John the Baptist. They think John the Baptist is a prophet. But now he's got to weigh that against, yeah, but my guys, I mean, they think I'm really cool. I can't, you know, I got to look, they look up to me. I can't back down here. I got to, I got to back up my word. So in his weakness, he does it. He goes and he has John the Baptist killed. And he hasn't beheaded, and now we see the death of a great man of God taking place. And the Bible says his disciples come and take away his body, and they bury him. You know, we look down at Herod, don't we? we? I mean, it's so easy to look down on him. But, you know, really the only difference between him and us most of the time is opportunity. Who knows how we would be with wealth? Who knows how we would be with power? We're human, right? He has the same flaws that we do. We're human. Trust me, I have asked God many a time to test me on that wealth thing. So I must be a terrible person because he won't let me come close to it. But, you know, we may have not murdered somebody, but how many times have we lashed out in anger at someone? How many times have we gossiped about someone? How many times have we held a grudge about someone who did me wrong because it's all about me? How many times have we not forgiven someone like the Lord has asked us to do? Jesus told us all those, all those things are symptoms of an evil heart. And it's no better than murder. All those are symptoms of an evil heart. The world and man has not changed much over the last 2,000 years. We're still just as wicked as they were. Back 2,000 years ago. The Bible says there's nothing new under, under the sun, right? The world continues to go on. It continues to be wicked. And we continue to live in it. And that's the way the world goes. And this is just playing out of all these evil people in this evil world. But now the Bible gives us a contrast. Now the Bible gives us a contrast to this evil person. He flips it upside down. And he gives us this contrast. Of what it can be like. In Matthew 14 it says. Now when Jesus heard about John. He withdrew from there in a boat. To a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard this. They followed him on foot to the cities. And they went ashore. They saw a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them. And he healed the sick. So we see here now. We're going to get this great story about Jesus. And he, now Jesus hears about what happened to John the Baptist. And Jesus withdraws, right? He wants to get away. He wants to get away from where he's at. He wants to go to somewhere and be by himself. And we kind of see the natural side of Jesus here a little bit, right? What's Jesus feeling right now? Grief. He's feeling pain. And we get to see a little bit of the natural side. Jesus is hurting. Remember, Jesus was all God, but he was also all human. That's what makes him so great is he knows how you feel. 
He knows how you struggle. Because he felt it. He's not some God that's set off far away who has no emotion and can't relate to us. He's a God that has been broken. He's a God that has experienced grief. He's a God that has experienced hunger. He's a God that has experienced despair. He knows what we're going through. That's why in Hebrews it says that he is a great high priest because he knows how we feel. You know, John was Jesus, one of his good friends. John was actually his cousin, if you remember way back in the stories. John is the cousin of Jesus. And Jesus loved John. Remember when, when John the Baptist asked, are you the one or should we send another? What did Jesus say about John? Crickets. <laughs> no, he said, never has there been born of a woman a man greater than this. Never. Jesus loved John. And Jesus, you know, last week we got to see a baptism. And we heard about baptism. And Jesus chose John the Baptist to be his baptizer. That's how much he thought about John. And that's how much John played into the plan of Jesus. So Jesus is hurting here. And he wants to get away. And the disciples see this. And so they, they work to get him away from the people. And they work to get him to where he can kind of uh, take a breath here for a minute. And they paddle off and they go uh, to go to this deserted place. And Jesus kind of gets away. And lo and behold, what happens? The Bible says the people see where he's going and they go. And they flock to him. Can you imagine the disciples? Hey, Jesus, we got this great place. Come on, let's go. Nobody's ever going to find out. And then they get there and right away the people are coming. <laughs> and they're like, they just can't get away. They can't get away. They're kind of like, these people are kind of like, you know, everybody watch, uh, oh, what's it called, National Lampoons? He's like, they're like Cousin Eddie, right? <laughs> wherever, the guy, wherever the guy goes, Cousin Eddie shows up. Kind of like us. No matter what we do sometimes to try to get away from our family, they show up. I don't know how it is. We try to keep it a secret. They're there. And that's kind of how these people are. They, they want to be by Jesus. They've seen him do all these great things. They also probably want to see how he responds. Because remember, these people are searching for a king, and they're ready, really, to try to overthrow Rome. They're wanting to see how Jesus responds. They're hungry, the Bible will tell us. And so they're flocking still to Jesus. They're not staying away. And so they come to him. And what does the Bible say? What do we read? The Bible says that Jesus looked out, and he saw the multitudes, and he felt compassion for them. Jesus does what Jesus knows how to do, and he loves people. In his grief, he loves people. In his hurt, he loves people. These people that the world didn't think much of, Jesus loved, and Jesus saw them, and he, saw, he felt compassion for them. And that's always true of Jesus. Jesus always loves people. He always loves you, even when you think you're unlovable. Jesus loves you. And he goes to serve the people. The Bible says that he goes out and he heals their sick. And he goes out amongst the people. And his hurt and in his grief. Listen, there's really never a convenient time to be a minister for God. There's really 
a never a good time or a convenient time to do God's work, is there? There's always going to be an excuse for you to make to do God's work. Jesus could have said, he could have said, look, people, I'm tired. I'm hurting. I just lost my family. I'm grieved. Go away and come back. Jesus could have said that. But he didn't say that, did he? The Bible says that he saw the multitudes and he felt compassion for them. Very easily could have said that. And instead he says, come on. Come to me. I know what you're searching for. Come to me. You know, if we're waiting for a time for it to be convenient, there will n- we'll never do anything for God. You will never do anything for God if you're waiting for it to be convenient for it to happen. Because, again, there's always an excuse. I don't feel good. I'm tired. The kids. No money. No time. And I could go on and on and on. We'll do it tomorrow, right? One day, though, the problem is we run out of tomorrows. We run out of tomorrows, and if we're not careful, we're going to look back on a life of what-ifs and a life of should-have-dones and a life of could-haves instead of experiencing the life that God desires you to have and desires me to have. You know, if you're down and you're hurting, You know what the best thing to do is, really, honestly? Help somebody. I don't know how it is. I don't know why God wired us that way. But if I'm down and I'm depressed and I'm hurting, if I help somebody, I forget about myself. And I I start to feel pretty good. It feels good to help others. Test me on that. Let's move on here. So Jesus, he's been ministering to the people here. Uh, He's been, I'm sure, talking to the people and teaching the people. And now it's starting to get late. It's starting to get late, and we're going to pick that story up here. It says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. Send the people away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blesses the food. And breaking the loaves, he gives them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. What an awesome story. So here we see again, it's getting late, and the disciples, they come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, you know, it's getting kind of late. I'm sure these people are hungry. We're hungry. Uh, You know, get them out of here, right? They need to go home and eat. They need to go home and take care of themselves. Jesus, we know you love the people, so if you love the people, you know, cut it, cut it off, let them go eat. We need to send them away. So they're starting to recognize a little bit of what Jesus has trying to been teaching them, right? They're starting to, to 
see other people's needs and maybe feel a little bit for other people. But I'm sure they're not expecting the answer they got, right? Jesus said they don't have to go away. You feed them. You take care of them. You saw the need. You take care of it. That's not the answer they wanted. <laughs> they, didn't really, they weren't really prepared for that answer, right? You can tell by what they said. I kind of laugh because if you guys know Pastor Chris, if you have a ministry that once started, you better be sure about it. Because you take it to Pastor Chris, what's he going to say? You do it. You saw it. You're passionate about it. You do it. And that's pretty much what Jesus says here. He says, it's awesome. You guys are starting to think a little bit about other people instead of yourselves. Now, minister to them. Now, fill that need. You feed them. You know, and I, and I picture, this is, my mind is a little weird. It's uh, weirder than most. But I picture kind of Gary Coleman at what you talking about, Willis. Right? They look at Jesus like, what? You know, what do you want us to do here? What do you want us to do? And here next is a beautiful picture of how faith works. We can see again they're at, they're at a loss of how to feed them. You know, and basically they're saying, Jesus, we got, and we got a couple fillet of fish here, right? How are we going to feed all these people? The Bible says 5,000, not counting women and children. That's probably 15,000 people, roughly. But Jesus says, give it to me. And this is, this is the beautiful thing about faith. Because you can tell they really don't see what can be done short of sending the people home. I mean, that's their only solution. Send the people home and let them eat. They really don't understand all that's going to happen. But they trust Jesus. They've seen Jesus enough, and they know Jesus well enough that they trust Jesus when he says, give it to me. What do they do? Here you go. They trust Jesus enough to know that if they give it to him, He's going to do something. Because, see, it's not always the amount of faith that you have. It's where your faith has been placed that counts. I can have all the faith in the world in something, but if that something can't do what it's supposed to do, my faith is useless, right? That's why Paul said, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, we're men to be most pitied, right? I've got all faith, but if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I'm a man to be most pitied. Because my faith is in vain because he didn't do what he said he could do. So it's not the amount of faith that you have. I don't care how little faith that you have, it's where you place it. That's what counts. There are all types of religions out there. And these people that have all kinds of faith, right? But it's placed in a false God that can do nothing for them. I'll kind of give you a story. There's this product that I uh, that I saw. Oh, it's probably gosh, 20 years ago, close to 20 years ago, and I believed in it. I believed in it. I I sent my money there, and I followed the directions to a T. Whatever it told me to do, I did, and I did it religiously, and I had so much faith in this product that it was going to do what it said it would do. Anybody know what that product is? Hair restoration. <laughs> Didn't work out so well, right? No matter how much faith I had, I took those pills, I rubbed that cream on my head. I told Nicole one time, I said, I think it might be growing. 
And she's like, yeah, alfalfa, get you that one strand of hair down. But it doesn't matter how much faith we have if it's not placed where it needs to be placed. So Jesus takes the food and he blesses it. And he tells his this, this disciples, and this is a great thing, that Jesus is going to put you out into ministry. Whether you like it or not, it, if you have an idea and you're willing, Jesus is going to use you. You saw a need, you, you feed that need. And Jesus puts them out into ministry here. He tells them, you go feed the people. And so we see a great thing of how ministry works here. The disciples start handing out this food. They don't know what the heck's going to happen. Last thing they knew, right, they had two fish and five loaves. So they start handing out this food, and it just keeps going, right? And they start to get low, and they see Jesus, and they go back, and they get more food. They don't know where it comes from, right? They just know all these people are getting fed. That's how ministry works. We go out, and we start serving, and we start doing, and when we start to feel a little low, we go back to Jesus, and Jesus replenishes us. Jesus is always there to fulfill every need that you have. He's there to supply every desire that you have when you use it for his work, for his glory. That's how ministry works. You start giving of yourselves to other people, and God will supply everything that you need. They don't understand how it's working. They just know, I trusted Jesus. Hey, 15,000 people are fed here. Call me crazy. That's faith, and that's ministry. We get a beautiful, beautiful story of it right here. They're amazed that they never run out. And so I'm going to kind of give you a little upside-down part here again. So we saw how most of the world is, right? We saw in Herod how the world is. Even as Christians, we saw how we can be sometimes, right? We saw how Herod lived only for himself and for his pleasure, not caring about who he had to lie to, who he had to cheat, who he had to steal from, or who he had to kill. To get what he wanted. And that's the exact opposite. That is upside down how Jesus told us to live. Jesus gives us the perfect flip of Herod's life. Jesus says to save your life, give it away. Jesus says you want wealth, give it away. You want to be blessed, bless somebody else. You want to be forgiven, forgive somebody else. The Bible says that as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, right? As much as it depends on you. That means you do your part. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about how, if they're upset over how they hurt your feelings. Because they're probably not. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So we get the exact opposite from Jesus. And it goes contrary to our nature, right? We think to be wealthy, what? We've got to store it away. We've got to treasure it up. Jesus says, give it away. You want true wealth, give it away. Now, I'm not saying sell your house and everything and give it to Grace Christian Church unless you feel so led to do. I'm <laughs> just kidding. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying how many opportunities have we had that we've walked by because it wasn't, wasn't convenient. Somebody else would take care of it, just like the disciples. Let them take care of themselves. 
How many, how many opportunities have we given up? You know, Jesus, we see a great picture in Jesus. Not only now do the religious leaders hate him, now the political leaders are starting to find out who he is, and they, they hate him. And in spite of all of that, he loves, he loves people. He lives his life to please God and to please other people and to love other people. The greatest of the commandments, right? When Jesus was asked, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. No matter what's going on around him, no matter what the chaos is, no matter what excuse that the world would give him, Jesus says, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. He put his needs and his wants and his desires on hold to help other people. That's upside down, right, of what nature tells us, of what our nature tells us. Listen, church. The Bible says that our lives and your lives are just a vapor. Really, in the whole picture of things in your life, whether you live a hundred days or a hundred years, it is just a speck. And this thing we call time when it's compared to eternity. And we need to do some soul searching here because Christianity today in America and most Christians today in America think that they're living the Christian life is what? We come to church on Sunday, we don't say any bad words. That's not the Christian life. That's not even close to what God wants you to do. Not even close. God wants so much more for you. God wants so much more from you. And he wants to use you so much more. God has not called you to be ordinary. God's called you to be extraordinary. God's not called you to live a natural life, but a supernatural life. And he's showed you over and over again how to do that. Do you believe him for that? Do you believe that God has called you to live a supernatural life? Or do you believe that God has just called you to come to church on Sunday and not say bad words? What are you trusting him for? You know, the choice is, Christians, we can sit inside these four beautiful walls and we can play church or we can get out in the world and we can be the church and do what Jesus has really called you to do. Don't be satisfied for this. It's your choice. Again, you can make every excuse in the book. To not help someone and to not love someone like Jesus called you to. God knows I have. Listen, I told you God gave me what I needed to hear. God knows I have. I mean, sports, name it, you name it. You know, so I saw a great thing on Facebook, and it's true because it was on Facebook. <laughs> but I saw this great thing, and I... And it said 0.0002% of all kids will go professional in sports. But 100% of those kids will stand before Jesus. What are you investing your time in for your family? We don't have much of it. 
We can say again, we don't have enough money. We're not smart enough. We're not good enough. We don't have the excuses. We, whatever, whatever it is. And the enemy is going to help us come up with excuses. But one day, we'll get to stand before the Lord of Lords and the Kings of Kings and give him that excuse. Are you comfortable with that? I'm not. I've failed him too many times already. And I'm not comfortable now. So we can do that and give ourselves those excuses. Or we can say right now, here I am, Lord. I don't have much. I'm not smart. I'm not rich. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know how it's going to work. But here I am, Lord, and here's my two fish, and here's my five loaves. I want to watch you work. I want you to use me. Use me, Lord. Use what I give you, Lord. And then let them go to work. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Are you satisfied with living that ordinary life, or do you want to see what God has prepared for you when you step out in faith and you love God and you serve him the way that he's asked you to do it? Because you can live an ordinary life, and you can go about this life and be all hunky-dory, or you can see what truly God has for you if you're willing to step out in faith and say, here I am, Lord. Take what little I have and use it. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we're so thankful be, to be here this morning, God. Uh, God, we're so thankful for these stories that, that show us our human condition, God, that show us that there's nothing new, God. What we're struggling with, people 2,000 years ago have struggled with. But we thank you so much that you showed us something different, something greater today. And that is Jesus. Help us, Lord, to always remember how great he is. Help us, Lord, to always remember the sacrifice that he made for us. God, help us when we're feeling down and when we're feeling in despair, when we're depressed and we don't know where to turn. God, help us to make our way back to the foot of the cross and to look up and to see what he's done for us. God, no greater love has been displayed than that. The greatest love story ever told is your son, Jesus. And we're so thankful for that, God. God, we pray that each one in here, God, you would help us to step out Help us, God, to not worry about who we offend, to not worry about where the next thing is going to come from, but to give you what we have and to trust you to do a mighty work in it. And what you desire most, Lord, is us. What you desire most is us, God. Help us to be willing to submit over to you and to what you do, what you always do, Lord. We love you. We praise you. 
And we ask this in the precious and holy name, the name above all other names, the name of Jesus. Amen.